Hi, I'm Lee Rail, and you're listening to SeedPod, a podcast dedicated to the people shaping South Africa through entrepreneurship, sustainability, and design. Before we get started, please rate us on iTunes and share this with your friends. It really helps us a lot. This week's guest, Manu Prakash, is probably one of the smartest people that I've met so far. I met him earlier this year at the Design in Darba. He did his master's and PhD in applied physics at MIT before finding the Prakash lab at Stanford. Manu works at the molecular level to literally try and understand how the world really works. He's the co-inventor of the Foldscope and co-founder of Foldscope Instruments. Manu is dedicated towards inventing and distributing frugal science tools to democratize access to science, diagnostics of deadly diseases like malaria, and convening global citizen science communities to tackle planetary-scale environmental challenges such as mosquito surveillance or plankton surveillance by citizen sailors mapping the ocean. The fold scope is an idea that's more relevant now than ever. We are, in my mind, seeing the decentralization of power on so many levels, and this is yet another. As we discussed in our conversation, there's been a huge loss of trust in science today because the funding system often builds in biases which are hard to overlook. Manu has the goal of democratizing science through making it accessible to everyone, which I find thrilling and a very powerful idea. You can't argue against something that is proven by hundreds if not thousands of people. The recent months have shown again how polarized and distrustful many people are in science today, and for good reason. But with people like Manu pioneering projects like Foldscope, there is hope. Listen to our conversation to find out more. Good afternoon, Manu. Thanks for being here. Thanks for coming on to SeedPod and uh, welcome to Cape Town and Designing Dogger. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so I just I just watched your talk. Um, it was very thought-provoking and I've got a lot of questions. You're the first scientist that I've ever uh, interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we changed that. So <laughs> What? No, oh, the, the, the fact that okay. yeah, designers and scientists should talk to each other. It's funny, actually. The, the, one of the designers I was chatting to earlier today, she, she was saying that she's starting to read scientific papers to inform her the way she's approaching her design because there's so much information there that's not passed on to the public. Yeah, not a surprise to me. Yeah, um, and and it feels like like part of the role as designers in this world, we we're connectors. We connect, you know, audiences to products. We connect audiences to information, and so maybe there's more of a collaboration that needs to happen between designers and scientists to connect, because you guys are good in labs and we're good at talking to people, and so. It, yeah, it's a mm-hmm. natural. Yeah, I mean, I would say that a little bit more strongly. The, it's not about as individuals which portions we're good at. It's much more about, you know, what are we trying to do? If something needs to get done that requires, you know, a scientist without humanity means nothing. You know, if you care about a problem, you have to understand that problem from a people's perspective. So I don't see that big of a, this divide is like, oh, this person is a designer, this person is a scientist. It's just, if you're genuinely serious about solving a problem, you have to be out there, you have to understand and have under your belt a set of skills you need to solve that problem. You know, as a society, we've decided to call somebody one or the other. I mean, none of that really matters. It's, uh, 
you know, Wright brothers were, were they designers? Were they scientists? I mean, they were literally inventing mm -hmm. aerodynamics while trying to build a human experience to take flight like a bird. Just so I think it's probably this is the right time because information is so readily accessible and we have some of these grand challenges that just can't be solved with off-the-shelf solutions. So the strongest thing that I would say and it's just, you know, we are all problem solvers and then these sets of bins don't really work for me. I mean, just personally, every single thing that I do is driven by what is the human experience that we're trying to bring to somebody who's going to be using the tools we make. Mm. And, you know, we wear all hats. Otherwise, the whole thing falls apart. It doesn't work. Mm. And on the other hand, you have to have the incredible depth and knowledge for tackling these problems because you are in a completely uncharted new territory. You have to have the groundings of understanding the laws of physics and the physical world that you're designing in. Um, so I think yeah, for too long, maybe we have kept these things apart. I would want every single designer to be able to solve partial differential equations. <laughs> my, this is my dream. Yeah, it hasn't happened yet, but I talked to a lot of designers. But that that's what we do. Yeah, partial differential equations. Mm -hmm. What is yeah. that? Yeah, <laughs> uh, it sounds very a, complicated. No, it's just calculus. It's okay. just, it's a way of looking at the world mathematically. That's mm. it. You know, if you can't look at what you're making and really understand the space of design. I mean, as designers, we intellectually think about that space, but there is a mathematical way of describing it. In calculus, everything that's happening in the world uh, can be written down mathematically. You can really understand uh, what you're building, and especially if it has components where you care about. I think somebody like me, I care about from the least amount of resources without breaking the laws of physics, what is the maximum functional output I can get out of an object? You know, we live on a planet that's resource constrained. We live in a place that has incredible number of challenges. And if you're going to care about solving a problem, if you don't account for these sets of factors, it's just not sufficient. It's good enough, but not cracking at least what I call the barrier of scale. Cost is incredibly important. And uh, if you truly care about solving a problem at scale, you need both of these things. So I think much of the work we do without the design thinking and without the engineering mindset, those things were not possible. Like if you just look at it on the surface, you would just convince yourself it's not possible. Mm. So I, I, I like a few things that you said there. Um, the the I'm, I'm feeling it myself personally that this blending towards not just being in a certain box. And I, I feel like it's a time now where I can be many things and mm. almost choose what I want to be and... Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so that's exciting, mm -hmm. but it requires, it does require a level of courage to step into new things. And um, society does like to box people and keep us in, in certain rows. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. So we ha I guess we have to challenge the status quo in order to, to jump yeah. outside of those. Yeah. No, and I mean, what I'm describing is hard. Just how we 
bring people in or what we call even education has to be rethought in many ways and uh, that's the reality but on the other hand we have the tools and technologies and just we're all learners lifelong this idea that you would train for x period of time and you would execute for another period of time that just doesn't work no. we all learn things along the way you could pick up introduction to calculus now and start going through it and you'd start seeing connections very very quickly mm. it's not you know yeah it just matters how badly you want to get somewhere yeah i used to enjoy mathematics at school and i used yeah. to be good at it i just haven't really delved into it for a long time yeah and i mean i think ironically one of the threads there is uh, the way we teach it sometimes and especially now in the scientific context early on it drives the most creative people away and <laughs> this frustrates me so much and you know i'm part of that era in india growing up going to school and you had to describe i think i can still remember the story of uh my introduction to mic- microscopes which i now make was in the exam we had to draw a microscope and label all its parts exactly as it was drawn in the book and neither me or my teacher had ever seen a microscope wow and literally if you didn't get the perspective right that it had to be drawn at this angle you would get your marks deducted so just as if it's not a real object it's this imagery that you have on your head and i think this that has really stuck with me is the fact that how science has become about knowledge it's not about knowledge it's about experience and it's about the methodology of science which is mostly observational art is mostly observational you know you observe something and you say ah you know what if i add a little bit of imagination and you get to a completely new place science work exactly the same way but we piggyback it by saying unless you pass these exams unless you're really good at this in uh this this sets of exams we won't actually let you truly enjoy and experience science and then no wonder we get uh people pulled out from that experience and it's even incredibly worse when it comes down to life sciences mm. where we really have to just learn terms mm. so i mean you know you what you describe and what i remember as my own experience it's just we create that environment early on mm. and it's time to change that i think design schools need to think about this engineering schools need to think about it uh, just the primary education in science and primary education in design needs to be rethought And I think primary education everywhere needs to be rethought. It's yeah. it's failing us dr- yeah. drastically at the yeah. moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no. too robotic and cookie cutter and, yeah. and and doesn't teach the right skill sets. Um, yeah, yeah. For yeah. the world that we're going into at least. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's um that's probably the largest problem that we kind of think about as a grand scheme of things because that really does need a global shift it, it feels like a lot of things that we're facing right now require global shift mm-hmm. um climate change mm-hmm. education um monetary systems healthcare uh, all of it it, <laughs> it, it it's all crumbling in different places and yeah. it's it's going to be yeah. interesting to see where it all goes yeah yeah that's for like sure society 2.0 or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah politics needs a rethought too politics yeah, definitely yeah. All, all the like the, the 
they feel archaic now the old systems yeah, yeah. um i mean yeah. It, it, even I, I know you reference your mm-hmm. your president in the talk, but I think the criteria that someone can not run my for, president, yeah, yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, the the criteria for becoming a president needs to be completely different. It, mm-hmm. it needs to you, you need to have certain skill sets and yeah. uh, show leadership ability and th- thought process ability and yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, what makes me sad is this is something that as scientists we need to speak out more publicly is just today New York Times had this article on coronavirus and our country's response to it and who's leading the charge and just you know, we have somebody in office who has denied evolution outright in Congress and then you talk about being the leader of uh, in charge of protecting the country from coronavirus. I mean, how does virus work? You can't explain to somebody how viruses work and how vaccines work if you don't believe in evolution. Mm. So we, we are facing a dire times in terms of the people who are at the leadership have completely failed in the context of really having a grasp on, unfortunately, how science works and the process of science and the trust in science is deteriorating. Mm. I think mm. just the whole anti-vaccine movement has been dramatic in terms of how it's been demonized. Um, I think I think it's because there's a commercialization aspect to science, or or or, or the commercial world has kind of muddied the waters a bit with science, and so it's often hard to to. This is from my perspective to. Um, differentiate what the, if there's an agenda or a hidden agenda or a motive behind what is being said. So there's a, a general distrust in information that's being put out there. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just true, not for science, but just yeah. all information that's yeah. put out there now. We are facing the reality that most of the infrastructure we've built has that problem. There is no trust. But on the other hand, you know, I think I kind of think it from a grounds level I just care about people understanding the process of science. And then you learn how to take information in, how to be critical. As scientists, we're incredibly critical of each other. You know, if you were ever publish a paper, you know how critical we are of each other's work and how scrutinizing. And when you find something wrong, you take a step back, you go in a totally new direction, we change but that process is what makes science work. Unfortunately, it's not some message that comes out from one place. You know, the, the, the detail and the fact-checking that goes on in the scientific world is at such a remarkable pace that uh, in the community that really can be avoided. But it comes to the fact that if... I mean, I would argue in the, in the commercial context... You know, science is at the basis of many products, but then, of course, uh, there is a business layer to it. There is the ethics layer to it. So science just in isolation can't be blamed as a way of, oh, you know, this is the reason why this went wrong. And scientists are human. You know, there's, you can't, uh, this is how society works. Mm. But it's very valuable that Every time you hear something and every time you experience something, you know the process deeply so that you can put your own framework and then grow that framework. So 
you have the tools to really understand you know and even even this notion of uh, you know what does it mean to understand something is is pretty hard to grapple when information comes at such a fast pace mm. uh, but you know this is what science is built on this is literally what we are supposed to teach to our students uh and that needs to be much 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 broader you know i think if we can democratize the experience of science everyone will have a better experience in how to build trust uh and i think my approach of thinking about this is much more from just literally sharing and unboxing the tools for science you know instruments tell you what they see if you understand an instrument deeply it's truth it's, it's that it's that's what it is yeah. it's a measurement yeah. you can you have to think about it and then when you've done it a million times and millions of people have done it over and over again it starts to paint a picture of reality that you really have to grapple with just because it's inconvenient doesn't make it not true which is the model that we've been living with in the current age uh and this is why i think my passion in science in design is how do you really design the experience such that the measurement tools in science are accessible to the largest group of people mm. you know i remember this quote everybody knows this in the scientific world but feynman the last thing that he had written on his board when he died was he said what i cannot create i do not understand <laughs> and an analogy that i often think about is what i can't measure i don't understand measurement is at the heart of everything that we do in science if you don't understand you can't measure what disease somebody had you can't cure it if you can't measure how the planet is changing you can't actually solve it if you can't measure what's happening around you you will have no way to make behavioral technical any kinds of solutions that go in the right direction you're just blind you're flying blind So I think to me measurement tools play an incredible role in science but very few people actually get access to them. And so one of the big goals here which comes back to public trust it comes back to how people should think about science is how do you make that process accessible? And then again, you know, let let communities grow. You know, we can't predict everything. So it's not trying to design and a world or an environment which you have control over usually but i believe it's a good thing people should be able to measure the world they live in i i really like that idea because if we take climate change as a good example here mm-hmm. where majority of the world scientists are saying we have a problem yeah. climate change is real it's happening and it's a, yeah. we need to do something about it but there there's for ulterior motives there are people campaigning and saying that it doesn't exist it's not real blah 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 and then It, it all it needs to do is create one little seed of doubt yeah. and it's done its job because then you start questioning well, yeah. well what is real what is truth who do i trust um and, and if so if everyone had some sort of little tool that goes every day i can measure the temperature in my in my yeah. location and over you time can. you see hang on there is an increase then we can all go you know what there's no way of getting around this um 
Um, yeah, I mean, let me respond to that. I, fantastic idea. It's valuable. Communities are doing this around the world. I mean, there are pollution monitoring networks. There are, I think we've really focused on environmental monitoring with the Foldscope program, really individuals watching microplastic grow in their water every day and realize in their rivers and in their food uh, communities starting to detect and see diseases that they have never seen before, plant pathogens that they've never seen before, uh, just human experiences that they had never had, realizing that, ah, wait a second, just are literally with our senses itself. So that's starting to change. And I think for us, what's been remarkable has been sharing tools you know, like Foldscope and other sets of things, which people get to decide what they will measure with, uh, what what measurements would they like to make, and then working with communities to adapt these tools for those specific problems. So that's starting to happen. Uh, you know, the cell phone that you carry in your pocket is an incredible scientific instrument. It's just as long as we make it open and accessible to people, you will find phenomenal uses of these powerful tools which right now have been boxed in as black boxes mm. so i think yeah that's starting to happen and it's about time um we give people the tools uh, to you know measure their environment mm. really measure their communities just it's it's just the right time it's it's interesting because i feel like it's a, again it's we've outsourced many uh, processes in our lives so food production um, is, is a good example. And, That's and, a great example. And, and science is another one where, oh, yeah. the scientists, we'll they do it. Yeah. And then we just blindly trust what is said. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's where the disconnect yeah. comes. No, I mean, that's a huge problem. It's science cannot be outsourced. You know, we are born curious. And somebody actually asked me the other day, which I was baffled when they asked, but I actually enjoyed thinking about what is science? And to me, it's the process of satisfying your own curiosity with logic and inference and using the principles of science. It's just the history of how we have developed methods to study a problem. And But that's for everybody. I mean, that's not a... You can't outsource that. You can't outsource your own curiosity. Mm. And ironically, when you start taking baby steps you can extrapolate to truly understand far more complex ideas and see loopholes in complex ideas as well if you have the basics right. So, you know, if there is any one thing I want to say is just science is for everybody. Let's just... The joy when you make your own discovery and like the genuine aha moment is just priceless. It doesn't matter if 300 years ago somebody had described how thunderbolts work. When you see your first thunderbolt and you understand it and you are trying to figure that out yourself, I mean, that is a type of a jolt that you will remember. It's, it's so powerful for you to be focused on thinking about these questions much more deeply. And that's the process of being a human. You know, it's, it's an experience that that carves us to be the most supposedly I, I doubt it sometimes now the most creative race on this planet of species but <laughs> the moment we're the most destructive the race. most destructive race on this planet unfortunately and yeah. it just uh yeah it's baffling actually but yeah you know you're absolutely right outsourcing is not the answer mm. 
So, so, and I, th- I think politics or is another space, but there's a call, I think, on many levels globally for us all to take responsibility for our own choices, decisions, opinions, views, and 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 this fits perfectly within that. Yeah, yeah. No, we. <laughs> What you can't measure, you can't understand. And what you don't understand, you won't take responsibility for. Yeah. So, yeah, I think ownership lies with all of us. And uh, I think, yeah, I, I really feel this is the time for science and society to truly engage. Mm. So let's do it. <laughs> Are you hopeful? Do you have hope that yeah. looking forward? Yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty hopeful person. Okay. And the reason I'm hopeful is I spent a lot of time in schools running full scope workshops and just i think the most joyful moment for me being in cape town was i just landed uh in a few hours later we ran a four-hour marathon full scope workshop kids that had never seen the microscopic world we picked up some water from the ocean five minutes from their school and i counted thousands of species that even i as somebody who studies marine species had never seen them before i mean it was just such a joyful moment and just yeah i think share the tools and you will find the creativity in people yeah i'm hopeful it's just uh we better get our act together now <laughs> yeah time is running out time is running out but yeah. literally is on that note <laughs> yeah. thank you so much yes. <laughs> i wish we could carry on but uh, this you... is such a enjoyable conversation thanks so much yeah i really enjoyed it yeah. pleasure thank you bye you've been listening to seed pod with me lee rail Thank you so much for your attention. I know that it's not always easy to listen to a conversation that's an hour or more these days with time being so pressed. So I really appreciate those who are listening to these conversations and I hope you're getting as much value out of it as I am. And I'm walking away with nuggets of wisdom from each conversation and, and I trust that you are as well. You might have noticed that there's a little bit more noise in the backgrounds of the recordings that's because i'm not in a studio anymore i have gone on my own i've got a mobile setup and so i'm doing it all myself i'm recording myself i'm editing myself and so if there's any feedback if it's too loud too soft too noisy let me know if you if you have any feedback as to the content of the podcast love to hear from you otherwise keep listening keep sharing and keep being inspired 